Well, welcome and good afternoon, good morning, good evening, Ace, wherever you're watching from, to another episode of Take the Two. Obviously, we're back after a one-week hiatus. You know, life scheduling issues sort of gets in the way sometimes, so it doesn't always make recording possible, but we're back and ready to get stuck into it for another week, Tom. Yeah, certainly are, Ricky. It's been uh, two good weeks of footy, and the way it's starting to shape up now, you could you know, argue that the top eight's pretty much set, but you know, there's a couple of teams just sitting on the outside that could definitely make a run now. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I mean, I guess the first uh, first game of round 16 is probably, I guess, more so for the Rabbitohs and the Eels. The Eels look to have that top four spot pretty much locked up. I think the they, the Storm and the Eels are the three teams that it would have to take a miracle for either of them to, you know, fall out of the top four, even the top eight. But certainly it's a big game for the Bunnies this week, Tom. They are one of those teams sort of, you know, vying for, I guess, that seventh and eighth position on the NRL ladder with quite a few teams still. They had that good win against what was a severely depleted Manly side. I mean, you know, that's certainly it's taking nothing away from the Bunnies, but obviously, you know, you can only play what's in front of you. But it was a side, a Manly side, missing a lot of their players. Is this a a sign that Souths can make it into the eight, Tom, or or do we need to see them against, I guess, a bit more uh, of a stronger opposition, certainly defensively, like the Eels, before we can sort of make those summations? Yeah, I think. Uh, we'll probably definitely see them in the finals. It's just games like this will really uh, demonstrate how far they can go. Obviously, this week they're going to be losing Alex Johnson, who's a big loss. They'll get Dane Gagai back, which is good. But as you said, take nothing away from their performance last week. You know, it's, it's no easy feat to put up 38 points in the first half on any team in the NRL, no matter how depleted they are. And Manly, a team that really should have been in that fight when you look at the ladder. You know, they were on 12 points, two wins outside the eight. They could have closed the gap to Cronulla to just one win. And they really couldn't do anything in that first half, despite the injuries you mentioned there. I think that for the Eels, obviously missing uh, Murata Niakore, uh, we've spoken about him a number of times this year, is uh, really stepping up this season and uh, playing a good role for, for your squad. But Andrew Davies in, equally great replacement on uh, on form. So it'd be uh, interesting to see how he goes off the bench. And I think, yeah, look, this could be a really interesting one with the Eels all but cementing a top four place and the Bunny's still fighting. So it remains to be seen whether the Eels are still have that motivation and the drive to really keep them up the top. Yeah, look, I mean, it's certainly, I guess, it was coming with that Dragons loss the week before, obviously, you know, sort of, I guess, trying to grind their way through games, but perhaps not being as, uh, as Brad Arthur would put it, not being as professional as some of these top sides, which, you know, I guess obviously refers to a team's ability to to really grind those games out and, and you know, assert their dominance defensively instead of trying to, I guess, worry too much about the you know the attacking sense once you've got that set lead and to trust your defence. But, yeah, look, it looms as a good game. It's a good test, obviously. We know what, you know, Mitchell, Walker and Reynolds can do and, well, and Damien Cook as well. So I guess it's certainly a test for both sides overall just to sort of, you know, for the Eels to, you know, get that win against a team they should be expected to given the position on the ladder. And then for the Bunnies who, you know, they, they I, I think there's a stat that haven't beaten the top six team this year. So it's certainly... I guess there's motivation for both sides to perform. Yeah, 100%. And I think a great sign for the Eels last week was uh, how well Ryan Madison played. Obviously, he had that little bit of a hiatus after the concussion he suffered in the Tigers game, but he linked up really well with Mitch Moses, and I think he had one of his best games of the season last week uh, in that 14-0 win over Melbourne. So all the troops are coming back for the Eels, and it's, the time is right now for a big charge towards October. Yeah, certainly is no time like the present to you know get that momentum that you need. And I guess that's certainly... I guess not so much indicative of the next clash. I mean, it's obviously two sides that I guess they're, you know, they've both sort of had their ups and downs this season, but 
they're, they're sticking at it, of course, talking about the St. George Illawarra Dragons and the Gold Coast Titans, which is the first game on Friday night. You know, the Dragons had that, I guess, maybe closer game than we thought against the Broncos. But again, that's taking nothing away from the Broncos, who, you know, fought pretty valiantly in that clash. And then we had the Titans against the Raiders, Tom, who I guess maybe the scoreline, I guess, probably is not, not that it's not reflective of the game, but. You know, you look at a 30, a 36 or 16 score and you think, yeah, it was all Raiders, no dramas, too easy. But, you know, as we're seeing under Holbrook, certainly the Titans are very much, a, I guess, a revamped side in terms of their approach, obviously. You know, we say it about a lot of teams, but that, you know, that very easily, one, once the Raiders sort of had that double with Jack Whiten, then Tom Starling goes over before the break. I mean, that could have very easily been a, you know, a 50 to 10 score line or something like that in years past, but goes to show that what a coach can do when they sort of instill that mental toughness in a team. Yeah, and I think while the Josh Papali sort of chased down an ankle tap on uh, Jamal Foggy sort of took the headlines of the day, the Titans did play really well for much of that first half and even showed some glimpses in the second half as well. And uh, as you said, could have easily been thrown out, but, you know, hung in there uh, for the large portion of the game. The Raiders just took the momentum, probably had a little bit too much class and experience in the end, but... I've been super impressed with the Titans uh, and how they've played since AJ Brimson has returned. I think he's really revitalized that attack. They've finally got Corey Thompson onto the wing, which I think is a great move. Along with Brian Kelly and Phil Sammy, that's a really potent back line. And I think Jamal Fogarty, he was given the captaincy last week for the first time. He's really stepped up to that role in the halves. And I think he's cemented his spot moving forward, which is a really exciting prospect considering what we all know the Titans have coming next year. And then for the Dragons, it's, who would have thought that you know they've sacked their coach, but if they win this week and Cronulla lose, they're one win outside the top eight and they play the Cowboys next week. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty amazing prospect to think that the Dragons could be inside the eight within a couple of weeks, but it's going to take a little bit of luck. I guess their, their fate is out of their hands a little bit, but they've got to keep winning. And Zach Womax is probably one to watch this week, as is Ben Hunt. I think up against the Titans, they're going to be losing Mo Fodueka through suspension. He really adds a lot of stability through their middle throughout much of the game, so it'd be interesting to see how they attack Tyron Peachy, who's playing at lock this week. And I think probably we're going to get a really exciting high-scoring clash, and the Titans on form could definitely knock off the Dragons, uh, but the Dragons, they really need to hold on if they want to keep their finals hopes alive. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. I mean, the Dragons, you know, they're certainly they're not, certainly not lacking anything in attack. Obviously, you know, we, I guess we've spoken about their defensive issues across the park for much of the season, but you know, especially especially that uh, that edge through Lomax and Ravalau and so, you know, what Dufty can do and even through the middle. So I guess probably Josh Kerr has been pretty impressive, you know, just, just with the work that he does. And, you know, you wouldn't expect it from a, what, maybe an 80-kilo natural hooker in Cam McInnes to make an impact, but he sort of just runs like a bullet in the middle of that ruck. And it's probably not something that many teams sort of expect from a guy of his size, but it certainly helps to you know, get over the advantage line and, and sort of get those quick play the balls, which he's so good at. Yeah, definitely. I think the two teams actually match up pretty well in terms of two exciting fullbacks, Dufty and Brimson, really potent outside backs. Probably got one young half in Clune and Fogarty, one half that's been, you know, underperforming probably this year, Corey Norman and Ash Taylor. Then you move into the Ford packs, both very young Ford packs with a couple of players with experience like Frizzell and Wallace, and then two hookers who are, you know, Typically, guys that haven't played there throughout their career in McInnes and Peachy, and who are also significantly smaller than the average lock in the league. So, on paper, the teams match up really nicely, and you know we could be in for a really tight clash. Yeah, so look, certainly be an interesting one, and obviously, 
we, I mean, we just mentioned the Broncos before and sort of how they, I guess, showed a bit of resilience, but it doesn't get any easier for them on Friday night time. They've got the Roosters. You know, the Roosters, I guess they're starting to get their their, their troops back. Boyd Cordner is back from his lengthy uh, stint out with concussion, which, again, is the right thing to do, seeing as we know the long-term effects it can have. Brett Morris is back. Kyle Flanagan came back last week. They're getting their troops back, and, you know, obviously Luke Keary is still the major omission overall, but he may not be back until, what, round 20 or the finals even. But it's really hard to see this going any way except for the Roosters, despite... I guess the Broncos will do try and do their best to keep it respectable. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, as you said, this Rooster side is just shaping up for a beautiful run into the finals. We saw that last week against my Tigers. Unfortunately, they just were too clinical in the first half, opened up a 20-0 lead, and it was all Roosters from there. You know, James Desco was sort of back to his best last week. He's had a couple of quiet weeks, and I think he plays a lot better with Kiri in the side, so the challenge will be for him to really step up. And even with all the attacking attention on him, can he still create those those chances out of nowhere. And, you know, we saw that last week. We saw a great game from Satui Tupanua, made that line break in the first half to really break break the game open. And the Morris brothers on the end of things, just, you know, it's absolutely clinical there with uh, Ikebalu out in the first half last week. Uh, Josh moved to one edge and you had Brett on the other. And as soon as you saw the ball out there, you knew you were in trouble as a Tigers fan. So it's uh, great to see them back out there and combining for the Roosters. And I think one guy who's really impressed me over the last couple of weeks is Sio uh, Sio Takeahu played uh, 80 minutes for the second time in three weeks last week and had try assists, 70, uh, 37 tackles, 18 runs, uh, two line break assists. He was just absolutely unstoppable, really brought out that ball close to the line. And if he can get it in form, he's the sort of player that can really break the competition apart and you know really separate the Roosters from teams like the Eels and Panthers up the top there. Yeah, Lou, as an interesting one, obviously, I guess, you know, we'll touch on it a bit later, but, you know, Seabold is out. So I guess, you know, it's all Peter Gentle's team for the rest of the season. The Broncos probably need an absolute miracle if they're to come close to the finals, but, you know, they need too many things to go their way, so that's probably incredibly unlikely. But I guess it's a good chance for the players to impress whoever the coach will be next year, Tom, particularly, you know, when you look at young guys like Staggs, Farnworth, you know, uh, Patrick Carrigan, who's obviously acting captain. So I guess although the finals are, you know, I guess uh, not making them is a foregone conclusion, there's probably still a bit of, I guess, pride and sort of, an ability to impress a new coach and say, yep, yeah, you need to pick me next year, whoever that coach might be. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen in the past teams really step up after the week after their coach has been sacked and, you know, coming out for a big win. I think um, the guys on Fox Sports were having a laugh last week about Craig Bellamy's record against interim coaches. And that's just teams absolutely, you know, ripping in for their for their new, new leader the week after they've had a coach sacked. And as you said, plenty of players with spots up for grabs. I think Pat Carrigan really impressed me last week. Katoni Staggs grabbed the headlines with that electric try, and he's been outstanding the last few weeks. But Carrigan played 80 minutes, uh, you know, in the absence of probably a couple of Brisbane forwards there. Uh, 40 tackles, 24 runs, two offloads. He's probably been their most consistent performer this year, and I think he's really deserved to hold on to that captaincy despite the results. You know, you'll compare him to the other co-captain that they named at the start of the year, Brady Croft, and he hasn't played in weeks because of the form slump. So. Uh, Croft will be back on the bench this week, which will be interesting to see how they manage him alongside O'Sullivan, Did, and uh, Corey Pakes, Orko, a very young spine, uh, with the exception of Darius at fullback. I think they have looked better since moving Darius to fullback, so it'd be good to see him end out his career um, with a couple of solid performances. Obviously, what's been said on social media and uh, in the news media about sort of his decline in form over the last few years and has he gone a year too long, but I think we've seen on numerous occasions the impact he can still have on a game and on plays, uh, on individual plays. 
And I think it'd be great to see him uh, finish off with a couple of good games. Yes, certainly will. And I guess moving forward, there's certainly there's a clash. First game on Saturday that I guess has a lot riding for both teams. Obviously, the Warriors, remarkably, despite everything that they've gone through, there's still a finals chance to sneak into the eight. I mean, you you know, you certainly wouldn't have picked that at the start or at the resumption of the season, given everything they had gone through. They come up against a night side, Tom, who, look, we know what they can do, but equally the Knights need wins, I guess, to, you know, cement the spot that they are in. They beat the Cowboys 12-0, I guess. Probably it was a bit dour in a way. I mean, not that the Knights didn't have their opportunities. They certainly did, but they couldn't capitalise and just those inopportune errors. But this is pretty much a game that, I guess if the Knights want to make the finals, they need to win this one. Yeah, and for the Knights, there's plenty to play for. Not only just uh, can they make the finals, but they're a real shot at the top four. They're only seeing one point behind the Roosters here in fourth. And it's going to be a really interesting clash, I think. Obviously, Mason Lino coming in at 5'8 uh, after the injury to Blake Green. I wouldn't be surprised to see Lino play a very similar role to Green. I think we saw Green sort of just really direct all the play, uh, feed Ponga some ball down that left-hand side. And that's when they were looking really electric a couple of weeks ago against the Tigers and also against Manly. And then for the Warriors, they get Harris DeVita back. They really missed him last week, I thought. Uh, Paul Turner, he, he looked decent on debut. A couple of little mistakes, a couple of moments where he, he crossed for two tries, which were both denied, which is unfortunate. But they'll get Elsa Katoa back as well, which is uh, which is great news for the Warriors. I think that the uh, Knights will just have too much power in this one. I think Kurt Mann directing things out of dummy half will really help them. He's been really solid. Uh, we spoke about you know him potentially being a little bit, feeling a little bit gypped by the uh, move to hooker, but he's really taken it in his stride. And I think that He's combined really well with Mitchell Pierce and Ponga over the last few weeks. Stafford Toe has had a really great start to his career. And, yeah, well, from obviously Shibasaki made a bit of a, an error last week running it when they had a, about a 10 or one on the outside. But uh, him and Tawala have been uh, great in the, in the centres and really supporting their wingers over the last few weeks, I thought. Yeah, look, I mean, they're certainly, you know, they've looked, they've looked pretty good the Knights. I mean, even, some, even in some of their losses this year, they've, they've sort of, being able to show what they can do, but it's you know it's, it's as you say this, they just need that one one rooster slip up, and it's easy for the Knights to just slot into that top four spot. But I think a guy that has been pretty impressive for them, and I, I guess you know certainly his form hasn't gone unnoticed since he came back from his injuries, is Mitchell Barnett. Obviously, I know I guess when when you look at locks, obviously everyone thinks of you know you got Tamalolo and Cam Murray and all these guys, but Mitchell Barnett it sort of reminds me of Nathan Brown in a bit. I mean, just in the way that they play, they're very aggressive. They they just love to run run hard and run all day, and they certainly know how to put on a, put on a big shot in defence as well. Yeah, he's been outstanding. I think I saw on uh, Twitter a couple of people saying potentially he might even be a little bit of smoky for the uh, the lock role for New South Wales at the end of the year with Jake Trebojevich being you know, a little bit out of form and he could potentially move into the prop to open other spots. So between him and Nathan Brown, the Blues have got plenty of good options there. I think last week, just having a look at his stats, he had 35 tackles, 18 runs, three offloads, four tackle busts in the line break, and he's played back-to-back games of 80 minutes. Yeah, that's no easy feat in today's game, considering the speed of the ruck, and he's been uh, outstanding, and if the Knights want to make a run, he'll definitely be a, a big part of that if he can stay fit uh, towards the end of the year. Yeah, Looms has a good contest, and obviously that one, that game will be played in Tamworth at Scully Park, obviously. <clears throat> Pardon me, we touched on it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the decision was made, obviously, given that uh, Tamworth was the first base for the Warriors. The Warriors opted to take the home game there as a, a thank you to the community and the fans. So it's a good chance for Tamworth to see some footy as well, Tom. Yeah, 100%. As you said, we touched on it a couple of weeks ago, but great to see the community rewarded for really helping out the league. They were a massive part of Project Apollo and a, a huge reason why uh, the league's up and running with the Warriors involved uh, as it 
one stage it looked like they may not be. Exactly right. It's always uh, good to see the good to see games taken to the you know the country towns. So hopefully, it's a, once we have a, a full season, hopefully in 2021 that can continue. Well, I mean, here we we got the first or sorry second game on Saturday is the Sharks and the Cowboys. Now, look, I mean, we, I guess we touched on the Cowboys that lost to the Knights last week. Tom, they're probably look they weren't bad, but they weren't great. It was kind of obviously the the return of Michael Morgan has certainly improved their attack in terms of. I guess momentum and sort of we know what Morgan can do. Obviously, he was he's been such an influential figure for the club alongside Thurston, especially. You know, this year he's been disrupted by injury, so probably hasn't been able to have the impact he's wanted. But I mean, there's good there's some good signs from him going forward if he can stay healthy and on the park and I guess lead around the young guys like Drinkwater and Dejan Arsi, who makes his return to the side as well. I mean, this is this is probably a bigger game for the Sharks and the Cowboys at that time. I mean, Sean Johnson is back. He missed last week because because of the birth of his child. But they are one of those sides as well that, you know, potentially one loss and that could that could be death's door when it comes to making the finals. Yeah, I think the Cowboys are, are well and truly uh, a very outside shot of making the finals. I, I don't think we'll be seeing their, <clears throat> them there in October. I think for the Cowboys, you sort of touched on it there, I think they've just really struggled with their attack. They haven't scored uh, more than 16... Oh, sorry, they've only scored more than 16 points once since round eight. And in those games, they've conceded 42, 42, 22, 24, 30, and uh, 31 as well. So it's all good, all well and good if you want to uh, sort of grind teams into really low-scoring games and not rely on your attack. But if you're going to do that, you have to back it up with the defence. And we saw the Sharks do that in 2016 to great effect, but the Cowboys this year just have not been able to back it up with their defence. And unfortunately, that's cost them this year. And they're down there in 14th spot, just above the Broncos, and only one one win off the uh, off the uh, wooden spoon. So. It's been a tough year for them. Obviously, Val Holmes uh, coming back will help with that attack. I was a little bit surprised to see uh, Tabuai Fido uh, dropped this week. I thought that he might. You know, I thought that he was one of those players that you know has shown glimpses of being able to really spark the attack and bring a bit of uh, electric speed, as we've seen in a couple of occasions this year. And Dejan Arsi looked good in, in his debut. Uh, hasn't played a lot since, but it'll be interesting to see how he goes and combines with Michael Morgan. Obviously, he might be just be trying some combinations for the future here. Looking forward and seeing uh, whether you know they potentially move the RC or a guy like Hampton next year at the 5'8 spot. The big loss is obviously Jason Tamarolo, though, with that calf injury. Francis Molo comes into the starting squad with Josh McGuire moving to lock, but you can't replace the best lock in the league, unfortunately. Um, and I think they'll really struggle to contain uh, the Sharks' forwards in this one. Uh, guys like Braden Hamon Ueli, Aaron Woods, guys we've spoken about like Royce Hunt and Talakai, they've, uh, they've been good this year, and the Sharks really need a win this week. It's going to be uh, interesting to see how Connor Tracy goes. Obviously, Matt Moylan's been dropped there, uh, and Sean Johnson returns. I think they really missed Sean Johnson last week. We all know how many try assists he's racked up this year and how far ahead of the rest of the competition he is in that stat. But um, it'll be interesting to see what happens here. And you know, as I said, the Sharks really need to win, and the Cowboys trying to keep their uh, uh, wooden spoon rivals at bay. Yeah, I mean, look, I guess as as much as, you know, I guess it's, it's sort of the Cowboys along with the Titans are probably – you know, one of those two Queensland sides that people don't mind seeing do well, but obviously we know it's been anything but for the Cowboys. But it's going to be really hard to win this one against the Sharks. Obviously, the Sharks have so much more to play for. You know, as I said, sort of one loss and it could be the end of their finals hopes because that's how that's how tightly contested that race, for I guess, for the last two spots is. But, yeah, I mean, Sean Johnson back is... is dramatically improves their attack. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it can be understated just 
how how much of a focal point he is for their attack. So that's just a welcome boost for them. I guess maybe a surprise to some as well is uh, Brighton Nakora is back, so it's moved Talakai to the bench, which, you know, as, as you said, as we've touched on in the past, whether it's been starting or off the bench, Talakai has been pretty impressive in, in 2020. Yeah, definitely. It's a little bit of a shame he's on the bench this week, but it's great to see Britton Nakora coming back into the side. He's obviously got runs on the board from last season and great combination with Sean Johnson that we haven't really seen much of this year. So it's uh, understandable that they want to bring him back and try and foster something as they uh, move towards the finals. But as you said, Talakai will play a big role off the bench. And uh, that's where he was you know, making such a big impact for so many weeks to start the, the season after the restart. So uh, he's really made a name for himself this year, scored himself a new deal, and it's a really exciting prospect for the future for the Sharks, especially with a guy like Wade Graham probably coming towards the end of his career. Yeah, exactly right. Certainly looms as a big game, and the Sharks will need that win. So the final game on Saturday, we have the Penrith Panthers against your West Tigers, Tom. Look, I guess we touched, you touched on the Tigers before. Certainly, I guess, try as they might, it was just, I guess the Roosters just had too much class in the end. Obviously, it doesn't get any easier this week against the Panthers, pardon me, who had that pretty good win against the Sharks. I guess, you know, I, I guess you could say they're a bit, they're in cruise control a little bit. You know, I guess there's there's that question that sort of people are tossing about is, you know, Penrith are first, but you know, is it that momentum they can keep? Have they peaked too early? You sort of have, I guess, two schools of thought there. Is there anything that your Tigers can do to try and? I guess, keep it close or, or, or really nullify the team, obviously. It is it gets a bit easier with Harry Grant coming back, which will obviously dramat- dramatically improve your your attack and spark through the ruck especially, and with Coruscant and Kikau being after the Panthers. What do the Tigers need to do to, I guess, keep it close or even potentially win, and is that something you can see happening, or do you think the Panthers probably have a bit too much overall based on how they've been playing this season? Oh, yeah, on form, you, you're back in the Panthers... 100%, but, you know, as you said, I, I don't think that the Panthers are going to carry in a, a 15 or 16 game winning straight in, into the finals, and it's probably going to be a case eventually of a loss that they need to have to really kick them into gear and, and get them moving and get them out of cruise control, as you mentioned, and it's two teams uh, on Saturday night that are really trending in opposite directions in terms of injuries. I think the Tigers are virtually back to full strength with Harry Grant back into the starting squad. you got Alex Twile starting in this week. I thought he was really great for them last weekend at Leichhardt when he was on the field. I think he virtually played out the last 60 minutes of the game. You got Tom McKayley back at prop. He'll really try and uh, add a little bit of spark. And Sean Ball, obviously Panthers Jr. will pay up against his old team for the first time. And I think then for the Panthers, as you mentioned, Coruscant and Kikau are both big losses. It's great to see Brian Toto back on the wing. I think he really gives them a, a nice uh, back five that they can move forward with. They have some great guys in there like uh, Kale Bacons and Malachi Wateni Zalesniak who have really played a role for them. Uh, when they needed to, but I think this is the best back five for Penrith in Edwards, Mansour, Nate, and Crichton, and Toho. And then for the Tigers, I think that virtually it's their best one to 17, considering the roster that I can make. Great to see Jacob Whittle grab a try last week, obviously coming back from that horrendous ACL injury. And he's played two games since, uh, two good games since he's returned, both against the Bulldogs and the Roosters. And yeah, I think the Tigers showed glimpses last week of, of what they can do to a side. And Probably for that first 20 minutes of the, of the second half, they really uh, fought back a little bit. They scored two tries to bring it back to 20 to 12 and then uh, copped a little bit of a controversial knock-on decision uh, on the attack uh, against Luke Garner, but we sort of crippled them and went to a, a little bit of a, a rooster's run to end out the game. But I think Madge McGuire mentioned it, that you know they're happy to be walking on this tight rope, and we've seen this before from Tiger sides where you know with a couple of rounds to go, they'll just keep that hope alive with a couple of wins and you know potentially set up some really important clashes in the, in the last few weeks leading up to the finals. 
Yeah, well, look, I mean, I guess you probably, as a Tigers fan, want to try and avoid that that ninth position again. Otherwise, you know, we, we know what social media will be like if that's the case. But, you know, I, I guess time will tell. And there's certainly, there's still a few rounds to go. So you never know, never know what will happen. But, yeah, look, I mean, I think I see this one as a game, obviously, you know, obviously Penrith are the favourites. I, I guess I probably expect them to win. But I certainly don't think we can be expecting a, you know, a 38 to 16 scoreline like we saw against the Sharks. I mean, you know, the Tigers still have a lot to play for as well, despite, I guess, their downward momentum, if that's the right term to use. So, you know, they'll, they'll certainly be hungry for the clash and, and wanting to, I guess, try and prove a point that if we do make it, we're not going to be pushovers. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, alongside the Warriors, Seagulls, Dragons, the Tigers are also on 12 points. And, you know, if the Sharks whip up against the Cowboys, they'll, and one of these teams can never win, then they'll only be one win outside the eight, and then it's really game on for the rest of the season. Yeah, that's too right. Well, look, we move on to, speaking of the Seagulls, we move on to the opening game on Sunday. Now, I guess maybe a surprise to some is we have a clash. The first clash on Sunday is, is the traditional four o'clock game, which is normally the second. But, you know, here we are, I guess, in, 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 you know, it's good and bad. It means more more football later into the day. But, you know, there's obviously people think people like it. Some people don't. But, I mean, the way Manly played last week, Tom, wasn't great. They come up against a storm side that, they get back Cameron Munster, Jerome Hughes, Jesse Bromwich, and Cameron Smith. I mean, this is like essentially their current big, well, four, I guess, four of their current, big, you know, big five or six all back in one week against a manly side that probably wasn't great at all last week. This is like walking out of a fire and, and you know, going into a, an inferno. Yeah, absolutely. This is a massive danger signs for manly who, again, are in that little pack of teams on 12 points and really need to win this week. But it's uh, no easy ask when you've got Cam Munster and Cam Smith fresh and returning uh, this week. And I think, you know, we could see Melbourne really run up a score up on the uh, Sunshine Coast. They really like playing up there, it appears. And, and as you said, with uh, those other guys coming back, Jaron Hughes, Jesse Bromwich, that pushes Tino uh, Fasumalawi to the bench. And, you know, <laughs> we've all seen what he can do this year. Uh, and, you know, having him as a, a sort of a late game impact player could be really dangerous. And, yeah, I can't see anything in this one except for a, a big Melbourne win. Yeah, look, it certainly won't be easy. I mean, you only have to look at Manly's side and just see how it's decimated with injuries to have uh, a back rower in Jack Gashevsky playing centre. So, I mean, that's probably indicative of just how their season has gone. And I guess if you're the Storm, that's probably the side you try and target, given, you know, just how... I guess the differences that there are in between attack, defending at centre compared to back row. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen it in the past. I guess one positive for uh, for Manly and Kachevsky is that Melbourne don't have the quicker centres with Branko Lee and Justin Orlan playing there this week. But if he matches up against Addo Carr, there could be really uh, big trouble on that edge for Melbourne and uh, for, sorry for Manly. And I think it'll be one interesting point in this one is Melbourne's bench, actually. They've come out with uh, Nico Hines and Shandor Earl. Not sure if it's going to stay like that or whether we see a guy like Albert Bette potentially come onto the bench uh, at the last minute. But with those two outside backs, it could be uh, interesting to see whether they're just uh, you know, having a little bit of extra cover for the guys like Munster, Hughes and Smith, who are all returning this week, or whether it's a potential play from Craig Bellamy to really spark the game later on and bring in a little bit of extra attack. We saw last week, obviously, your Eels kept Melbourne to zero, so... I think it's only the first time in about, uh, sorry, uh, the sixth time in their history that they've been uh, kept in nil. So uh, Bellamy sure looks like he uh, doesn't want to let that happen again this week. And I, I definitely don't think we'll see that happen. Yeah, something like the first time since 2014 or something like that. So, I mean, I guess that just tells you how good the Storm are is that they can play 
in, I mean, in the past they've played second string teams and still managed to score if not win but yeah look it's, uh, it, it's hard to say this being anything except ugly for Manly I guess there's the big question is whether or not Albert Hopawati is going to make his debut he's had a lengthy delay with his ACL injury you know we know that his dad John has come out and said he hasn't been impressed at all with the way that Manly has I guess you know looked after him and all this stuff but he's there he's the 18th man whether he comes in, I mean, it's going to be a tough game for a... I mean, it'd be a tough game for any kid to come into against a Storm side, you know, looking to get that momentum back, Tom. Would you be surprised to see Hopawati in, or, or or is this a game that you'd say, you know, not this game, we'll bring in next week, seeing as, you know, a loss and a loss here probably means that Manly's season is done? Yeah, well, I think I've got to do something against this Melbourne lineup because they uh, come out with the same performance as they did last week against South, which was arguably a an even more important uh, do or die clash than this one. I think that uh, they'll really need him. Uh, obviously, he's like, got massive wraps on him. You know, one of the most prodigious talents in the league, and it's be really exciting to see if he can uh, live up to the name. I guess you, we've seen uh, you know, a couple of Hopalades in the league with uh, obviously his, his father John and uh, and Will as well. So uh, it'd be pretty keen. I'm pretty keen seeing uh, Hopalade uh, play. Hopefully, he doesn't uh, bring out the same antics as his father, but uh, I think we'll. Uh, He's going to be a real staple of the league for years to come. And obviously had a bit of an interesting start with the comments that were made this week and the whole uh, Warriors loan deal, uh, I guess, reneged. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him line up this week. Yeah, look, it's a good, I guess it's a good chance for him to, you know, live up to live up to the name, live up to the hype. And I guess if, if the form is shown in the low grades, anything to go by, he's only going to be a success in first grade. But yeah, geez, it's not an easy game first up. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, look, our final game of the round is at GIO Stadium, obviously Canberra Raiders' home ground. They're coming up against the Dogs. Now, look, I guess we, we touched on the Raiders. I mean, I thought, <clears throat> you know, particularly that patch where probably probably from about the 20th to about the 60th minute, I mean, I know, you know, the Titans scored a try in between that, but they, they were pretty dominant just in terms of their attack and their execution, Tom, just being able to, I guess, maybe a... a not unexpected, but given we know the Raiders have had trouble scoring points over the course of the season since the resumption, but, you know, they certainly didn't seem to have that here against the Titans. Obviously, Jack White's performance was, you know, pretty impressive as well, which which is only, you know, a boost for them, takes some pressure off at uh, George Williams. And obviously, they're coming up against a dog site who, you know, we know that they fight valiantly. Obviously, they, they couldn't get the win against the Warriors in the end. But, I mean, the talking point out of this one, Tom, is, I mean, this Bulldog side fans are saying, like, literally... Their first reaction yesterday when it came out was WTF, as in, you know, just what has Joel Gales decided to do with this side? Like we have Luke Thompson, who is this, you know, huge recruit out of England. We know what he can do. He did it for St. Helens. Hasn't been too bad at all since coming in. I mean, I know there's maybe, I guess, match fitness concerns, but a guy like that, I mean, you want him in your 17, but here he is in the reserves. Yeah, very confusing changes. Uh, coming out of Bulldogs HQ yesterday, you know, you spoke about Thompson, but as well, guys like Remus Smith, Tim Laffey, who they've just recruited from the Dragons. You know, that's not a great look to be recruiting a guy and then two weeks later dropping him. Jake Avarillo being one of their best this year, I think he's really brought a lot to their attack and, you know, really shined in a side that has really had, you know, not a lot to, to call home about in, in terms of their attack. And as well, Suaso Sue, I thought he was pretty solid over the last few weeks, but uh, not to be for Steve Georgialis. He's uh, dropped all of them. I think one guy that we haven't had a chance to speak about because uh, we weren't on last week, but I think he's been pretty solid is Matt Dory. He started pretty well against the Tigers, scored that try uh, at Bankwest Stadium, and 
I thought he, I thought he backed up with a decent performance last week as well. So he could be one that they're looking to uh, for the future. But again, he started last week, reverts back to the bench this week. So, um, you know, not 100% sure what the philosophy is there for Steve George Ellis, but fingers crossed he's for Bulldogs fans that he's he's got something up his sleeve. Yeah, it's just strange. I mean, even Jack Cogger, who I thought was pretty good against the Warriors, I mean, that's that short ball, that late short ball that he put on for Hopawati's try was something you'd expect from the elite halves. I mean, that was that was a pretty impressive pass. And here he is, dropped for Lachlan Lewis, who, you know, he's a much maligned, I guess, you know, he's, he's got a steady kicking game, but he's been criticised heavily by fans this year. So it's just, you know, I mean, it, it, it can't do anything for the continuity or the, you know, the, the execution, which is so important for a side to score points with just all these changes and chopping and, you know, just sort of, I guess, kind of pull a rabbit out of a hat and thinking that, a different combination will be the answer, Tom. Yeah, obviously there's two schools of thought there. The first is, as you said, um, you just pretty much run with the same lineup every week and try and build up those combinations for next year. I guess if you think that those guys are going to be the ones that are going to be playing there in round one, 2021, but I think for the Bulldogs, it's a bit of a tough one because obviously they've got a couple of roster changes coming in, uh, guys that we know about, like Nick Kodrick and potentially some other guys that uh, they haven't signed yet, but will be looking to sign over the off-season. So, Perhaps he's just looking to try out a couple of different combinations, see what works. But you know, up against an opposition like the Raiders, I think there could be a tough, a tough night on Sunday. Yeah, and hard to see anything. But I guess worth mentioning too, Matthew Tomoko will make his first grade debut off the bench. Well, that's how, given that Haruwe Naira is out for this game, it's always good to see a kid make a debut, Tom. Yeah, and they've had plenty of good ones this year. The Raiders, I think, they had guys like Semi Belme come onto the wing and. Uh, performed when they needed to, and uh, similar to Penrith, they've got these young guys in there that can really just, um, you know, plug a hole or play a role in the side when they need, when injuries strike, or, you know, up against uh, various opposition, and probably a good week this week up against the Bulldogs and an opposition that they should probably beat to, for Tomoko to make his debut. The Raiders released a video yesterday on social media of him uh, being told he's going to make his debut by Jared Croker, and he was pretty emotional there, and understandably, and, you know, I, th- I think it's a uh, young boy's got a really exciting future ahead of him, and uh, fingers crossed he can have a good game to start this weekend. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, obviously, it guess remains to be seen how much he'll get off the bench, but it's always a good time when there's a kid that you know can just come in and you know get get it, hopefully get a chance to show what he can do. And Tomoko will be no different, that's for sure. Well, we have uh, we say it every week, rugby league never ceases to amaze when it comes to news, and here we are again, plenty of good news, bad news, you know, sad news, but. This is Rugby League for you. We'll just get straight into it. Obviously, we'll start with two bits of Titans news, Tom. That being number one is Justin Holbrook with a new a new deal until the end of 2024. So it's essentially an extension to his, his current contract. Then we have Jamin Jolliffe, who he will be there for a couple more seasons as well. There are a lot of people that here saying that, look, oh, Holbrook's only won four games at the Titans. It's too early, you know, all this stuff. But when you look at the way that he's managed to reshape this entire or not roster itself but in i touched on it with the the clash against you know when we were talking about them earlier in this pod just that mental attitude the mental toughness the you know the ability to to want to play for your teammates like the top sides do considering that they haven't had that for what a good five to six years now that's obviously been a long you know a long time coming for the titans in terms of a coach that can do that it makes sense to, to, to get him on board and give him that time to build the side that he wants for the Titans to potentially become a force moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great show of faith in uh, the process of the rebuild. And um, they obviously believe in 
in what he's bringing. <laughs> I think uh, Andrew Voss came out on Twitter uh, this morning and said it's pretty amazing uh, in rugby league coaching circles that you know a day after a bloke exits less than two years into a five-year contract, having won just three games in 2020, we've got another coach who has won four games this year and he's had his contract extended for another three years. So obviously two teams at very uh, different ends of the scale in terms of ta- uh, the talent that they've had to work with this year. And you know, it's funny to say, but the Titans have almost overperformed this year, considering where many people had them, which was in that wooden spoon position. But I think the fact that the Titans have been able to recruit from such a low position, guys like David Fafita, Tino Fasto Malawi, you know, it just shows that players there have real, a lot of confidence in Holbrook and want to play for him. And I think the Titans, yeah, it's going to be, I think we've spoken about it before, but with Holbrook at the helm, they could really make a run for the finals next season. Yeah, look, exactly right. I mean, just the way he's been able to, I guess, extract this this natural talent and sort of, you know, prowess from players to to dig deep, to score points. I mean, you know, they certainly have shown that they can attack a bit as well. And I guess a big part of that is you go forward. And as I mentioned, Jolliffe has re-signed. There's probably, look, a guy at the start of the year that you wouldn't have expected was going to be making an impact. I guess everyone was focusing on, you know, Moe Fodawaka, you know, Tyron Peachy, even Keegan Hipgrave as well to a lesser extent. But he's come along nicely and obviously cemented that spot to really give them some go forward in the in the front row stocks. So as I said, plenty of news. Obviously, we have two guys that at the Dragons, young brothers, Matt and Max Fia guy. Obviously, they come with big raps. It's always good to see kids stay loyal to their clubs. Tom, obviously, I guess it remains to be seen who the Dragons coach is and whether, you know, whether they want to play kids. But from from all accounts, these two guys, are, these two kids are certainly ones that if they play, they're expected to have big things come from their play. Yeah, I don't know what about the Fear Guy brothers, but um, obviously sort of have come through the Dragon system. I believe they've played a little bit of Harold Matthews Cup and earned selection to sort of the New South Wales under-18s and played Australian schoolboys. So always a great sign when you can get representative honours in, you know, what is such a, a competitive junior system at the moment uh, coming through New South Wales Rugby League and truly exciting prospect for all the clubs and, and especially the Dragons. I think the brothers came out earlier this week and said that they're really looking to model their careers on the uh, on the Morris brothers. And um, that's, yeah, they could live up to uh, what Brett and Josh Morris have provided not only the Dragons, but the entire league, then uh, it's going to be a very exciting couple of years to come uh, watching their careers develop. That's for sure. I mean, certainly we don't we don't see too many brotherly duos anymore. So I guess it comes at a good point. The Morris brothers, I guess, well, on the decline is just the wrong thing to say because, I mean, it's like they're getting better with age. But obviously, there's only, and, and, and I mean, we'll touch, oh, we may as well touch onto that now. Obviously, they've both come out and said that they wouldn't mind playing again in 2021. And Look, you wouldn't put a pass on to do that, Tom, the way they've been playing for the Roosters all year. Yeah, I think the uh, Fox Sports run with the headline this week, will they ever retire? You know, both signing that new Chooks deal, playing the 35 years old, it's uh, pretty incredible to see. And, you know, most of the guys in the league are starting to you know, wind down their careers by that stage or already have retired. With You know, obviously a guy like Chris Lawrence this week has come out or last week and retired, but... And obviously, he's had all the injury surrounding uh, his career and, and quite a tough run in, in first grade. But, you know, he's only 31 and these guys are, are you know, still absolutely fit and firing at, at 35. And I guess that speaks to their their longevity and the way they've been able to keep themselves injury free throughout their career. And, yeah, as I mentioned and sort of touched on earlier, they've really cemented themselves as, you know, two of the best outside backs in, in the league. And to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, either of them in the New South Wales squad come the end of the year. 
yeah, I mean, look, their form certainly, you know, is warranted for that. But, yeah, certainly a lot of backs to choose from there. Obviously, look, I guess the major news everyone's been talking about, it was just a question of when it was going to happen and how it was going to happen. We heard we had the rumours of all the, you know, the, I guess, negative escapades surrounding Anthony Seabold. We know that he came out of the Broncos bubble to deal with family issues and there's been pretty much everything, anything and everything was said and has been said, you know, negatively and, and or positively. But this morning, obviously, was the clarification from Seabold at a press conference that he will stand down immediately as Broncos coach. He feels like it's the right decision for him. I guess it was just a matter of when and not if Tom, given everything that has happened, as bad as it is, so, sorry, as bad as the Broncos have gone, you do have to feel for Seabold a little bit, just, I guess, with some of the some of the negativity and some of the hate that has been directed at him. I mean, that's certainly not not how you want to see any coach go out. You want to see them go out, I guess, you know, on their own terms or if they've been pushed, you know, I guess to to at least have a bit of integrity surrounding the situation. But there's sort of been anything but for Seabold in this, in this instance. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think Anthony Seabold will be lost to rugby league forever. I think that he's got such a great rugby league mind and obviously that hasn't come about this year. But, you know, we've seen uh, what he did at South in his first year there. He really turned them into a, you know, an attacking machine and, and took them pretty close to the grand final that year. And I think uh, we'll probably see him back. Probably, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see him in a head coaching role again, but I think we'll definitely see him in and around, perhaps uh, in an assistant coach or, a, you know, an, uh, an offensive coach or a capacity similar to that. And yeah, yeah, I think Neil Henry came out and, you know, raised a couple of questions. He's the uh, Rugby League Coaches Association um, interim CEO. And, you know, I think he was begging for the game to, you know, bring back a little bit of stability with, you know, one in four coaches this year uh, being sacked. You know, we've had Kearney, uh, Paul Green, Dean Pay, Paul McGregor. You know, we're, we're at five out of 16. And um, it's, you know, probably not the best look for the game, but, it's, you know, it's been a tough year. And I think the challenge now for the Broncos is obviously financially having to pay out Anthony Seabold, much of Anthony Seabold's um, large contract uh, in a year that, you know, probably can't really be afford, affording to do that too much. No, that's for sure. I mean, it's not chump change $1 million, but it is what it is. They made their call. Now, look, the next bit of news, I guess, directly impacts you as a Tigers fan, Tom. We know that Josh Adokar wants to return to Sydney. He's on record as saying he wouldn't mind playing fullback. Fullback next season, Josh Adokar at the West Tigers. Will, will it work? Yet to be seen. I think I don't think there's enough evidence to go one way or the other, purely because we haven't really seen him play fullback ever. Obviously, a lot of Tigers fans are, are quite upset at the club for their recruitment over the years and you know, and losing Adokar is one of those things. But I think a lot of people have very short memories as well. Adokar, when he was at the Tigers, was a huge defensive liability for that side. And you know, we know what he's done at Melbourne and that's a huge credit to Craig Bellamy and the coaching system that we all know is so um, professional down there with such a, a strong focus on defence and that really turned him into, you know, who he is today and one of the best wingers in the league and, you know, obviously a, a New South Wales origin uh, representative. But it'd be interesting to see how it goes. I would be keen to trial it. I think that, you know, if he turns out to be an absolute dud at fullback, you can always just play him on the wing. They've got a, a good backup there in Adam Dewey. It just, I, I'd be interested to see what their plans moving forward for, for Adam Dewey would be as well because I think he's... He's really shown to be quite a solid fullback over the last few weeks. And 
whether they move him into the centres or as it's been touted, perhaps into the 5'8 role with Benji Marshall retires with Luke Brooks shifting back to his preferred position at halfback. So plenty of moving parts at the Tigers. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I think uh, the other options that's come out, uh, obviously the Bulldogs have got the money to spend on him. Pretty exciting to see him perhaps outside Nick Kodrick, as we've seen in the Origin Arena, or also uh, South Sydney have shown some interest with him pairing up with Latrell, which would also be a, a pretty dynamic combination. Yeah, certainly not short of options is that Okar if he wants to return to Sydney, which you know he's on record as saying he does. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he gets that not that that seal of approval from a coach to play fullback. Even as you said, you know we haven't we've pretty much seen him play exclusively on the wing in his first grade career, and we know it's not an easy transition to fullback. And I guess probably the downside for Adokar as well is the majority of fullbacks in today's age of rugby league you know, have that extra ball playing ability. They can slot in our first or second receiver and, you know, really, I mean, like we see Tedesco do, Gutherson do, you know, Dewey to a lesser extent, Latrell Mitchell, just a guy that can be there, you know, deliver a perfect cutout ball and your winger gets, just slides over to score. I mean, the passing game certainly isn't something we've seen a lot of from Adokar in any playmaking sense. Yeah, not at all. And I think that's the major concern of putting him at fullback. But equally, you know, he could develop that over the first couple of weeks. I think that was one of our major concerns with Latrell moving into fullback. We all knew what a, such such a great runner he was, but could he play that uh, that ball playing style? And he's proven that he can. He had a great game on the weekend and probably one of his best at fullback there against Manly. But I think you know I would be excited to see him uh, come back into the Tigers squad uh, at fullback. I think that you know the Tigers have turned themselves into a good bit of a point scoring machine this year. Obviously the defence hasn't quite been there to back it up, but you know. They've, uh, with the exception of a couple of weeks in there, they've really uh, put up you know, big points and you know, averaging 22 points a game. It's no easy feat in the league. And you know, combine him with guys like David Nofaluma, Joey Leilua, um, and Tommy Tawau coming through the ranks, along with uh, Brooks and Dewey. Uh, it's a pretty exciting prospect for Tigers fans moving forward. Yeah, it's building nicely. Just get, just get, you get Maguire re-signed and you know, let him, let him do what he does best, and that's forming a side. And anything is possible. Well, look, I guess as good as good as rugby league news is, you know, some makes you know makes people happy. Unfortunately, there are also sadder elements that happen in the game. Uh, so it's probably not a play that's known to many, but obviously to the Ipswich Jets, to the Queensland rugby league community that know him well, uh, Rogan Dean, who was a winger for Ipswich, and I think a couple of other teams as well in the uh, Intra Super Cup, was in a motorbike accident, had his and unfortunately has had to have his leg amputated, which Look, I mean, I guess that it's horrendous news for all involved, Tom, you know, obviously for Rogan himself, Ipswich, the community. And look, I mean, I guess all we can do is just wish him the best in whatever endeavours he'll do. I think the club said they'll keep him on in some capacity. But yeah, I mean, what what a heartbreaking way to go for any rugby league player. Yeah, absolutely. Um, pretty devastating news there. But hopefully uh, he, he finds a, another, potentially another role in the rugby league community that he can uh, take, whether it's coaching or as a trainer or something like that. And, uh, I know the um, CEO of, of uh, Queensland Rugby League, uh, Richard Hughes, came out and said that the Jets and uh, Queensland Rugby League will be there uh, for, for Dean in the short and the long term. So um, hopefully he can move forward. Uh, everyone that's around him uh, says that he's, he's you know, as strong a character that, as there is in the game. And, you know, nicknamed Guns, he was a pretty great player, scored 33 tries and 70 appearances in the uh, in the uh, QRL, so in the uh, Super Cup up there, and um, yeah, played for a couple of different clubs, and yeah, just terrible news all around. Yeah, it is. Look, I mean, it's not the way you want to see anyone have have their career end, and I guess 
we move on to a, an equally sad story. I mean, I guess we all know the impact that Payne Haas has on the field is one of the best young props in the game. Uh, there was a. This all stems from a story that was done by Michael Chamis when he was still at the NRL about his younger brother Chase, who I think when he was about 18 months old or so was in a in a car crash with uh, some of the family and pretty much became a quadriplegic, so he's you know confined to a wheelchair. But he's a happy-go-lucky kid, you know, always always has been, and you know Payne Haas used him as the motivation as as to you know his his insistence and and his desire to play rugby league. Uh, and obviously, look, I mean, you know, Payne's older brother, Chase, passed away, which, you know, is obviously devastating for the Haas family. But, you know, fans, the Broncos community have all rallied around him. And I guess when you, you know, when you lose someone that, I guess, motivates you to, to pursue the sport, Tom, it's, it must be pretty hard on, on Payne Haas at the moment. But you'd imagine he'll just use it as a, you know, the rest of his career will, will pretty much be played, you know, for his brother. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you said, really sad news. But obviously considering the circumstances it was um fantastic that he was able to you know um see Payne make his debut for the Blues last year I think he came out and said that you know it means more to him than it would to Payne and he's a big rugby league fan and a big supporter obviously of his brother and um fingers crossed um Payne can uh, move through this and you know thoughts with the family and uh hopefully uh he can come back on the field next year and um really rip in rip in for Chase. Yeah 100% look as I said we all know what Payne can do so you know, and, and, and certainly Chase will always, I guess, you know, be a part of him, given everything that the family's gone through. But it'll just, you know, I guess the idea is that it'll make him an even better person and player. And yeah, look, I said, you know, I mean, I guess we we try not to reflect too much on, on that sort of stuff. But I guess, you know, it's it's sort of it'd be remiss of us to not to not mention these sort of sadder elements, you know, as as devastating as they are. But I guess it's it's rugby league that has good, has bad, has happy, has sad and. It's just the way it will always be. But I guess we'll try and end this on a more positive note. The final bit of news was Liam Martin's re-signing over at Penrith. Obviously, look, I guess it's probably surprised many, Tom, just with the way he's played. He obviously, you know, had a pretty decent try on the weekend as well against uh, the opposition. And, yeah, look, I mean, he's building nicely. I think maybe an underrated sort of cog in that piece. And, look, I think even in some weeks, to be to be perfectly honest, I think he's almost outplayed Kikau a few weeks as well, which, you know, we know the, the raps that come on Kikau, but it's a good foil to have in having two solid back rowers on, on either side. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I think Liam Martin was probably their best last weekend against Cronulla and, you know, running off Nathan Cleary, he was, um, you know, outstanding, uh, scored a, a try, a couple of line breaks as well. And, you know, he's going to play a massive role for their side moving forward, not only this year into, you know, what's looking like it could be a deep finals campaign and, you know, a premiership run, but also into the future as well. And just, you know, I mean, a young bloke comes out of the Penrith system, which is really great, and out of country rugby league. And yeah, it's uh, super exciting to see young blokes uh, coming through the development systems and you know playing for their clubs and uh, realizing their full potential. Yeah, definitely, he's certainly been playing well, and you know, he's part of a team that is seems to be on the rise. So I guess we'll see what happens. Okay, well, as usual on take the on our take the two podcast, you know, we like to get others on, and we thought you know we we take a different tact rather than getting players on. We sort of made a decision to get people behind the scenes in rugby league on just to, you know, get their stories, how they got involved with rugby league and obviously with, I guess, you know, journalism and how the two have combined. And today we have uh, NRL.com journalist Chris Kennedy on. So welcome, Chris, and thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Look, so we'll get right into it. Obviously, you know, everyone probably knows that you are 
you know, a journalist on NRL.com. You're on the NRL Fantasy podcast that is done with Don Brock on a, a weekly basis as well. I guess just tell us a bit sort of how the opportunity came up with NRL.com and how you were able to, I guess, combine that with, uh, you know, a, a, I guess a passion and sort of a, an enjoyment for rugby league and how the two have sort of meshed together over the last few years. Um, I mean, how far back do you want me to go? I um, did a, a journalism degree at, um, at UWS because I was sort of passionate about the industry, but also with a, probably a view to getting into sports long-term because that was one of my main passions, particularly rugby league. I, I enjoy my cricket in summer, but rugby league's always the, the main one I followed. And um, from there, I got a cadetship um, at a business-to-business -business publisher, um, working across a bunch of uh, pretty boring titles, bits of manufacturing, medical, um, finance, that sort of stuff. And um, I was back in 2009, and one of the other the senior journalists I was working with on one of the medical titles was freelancing for NRL.com, which back in 2009 was basically one editor commissioning a handful of freelancers and putting up a whole stack of AAP um, stories and, and match reports. There was no, um, it certainly wasn't being run with any kind of resourcing or um, intent at that point. But, um, you know, sort of pestered this senior journal into giving me the editor's details. And then I pestered him relentlessly until he let me write a, um, a match preview. He sent me through some stats packs and said, it's this game and I need it to be, you know, this long and these sections by this date. And I wrote it after work one night and sent it off. And he replied almost straight away going, that's fantastic. That's what I'm after. You're doing this every week from now on. Um, and spent the next couple of years probably sort of getting further and further into the um, the finance journalism industry covering financial planning and superannuation that sort of thing and still just doing one or two match previews a week for nrl.com on a, a freelance basis and then um, when the new naming rights deal under Telstra happened in 2013 um, Telstra was commissioned to build a team of journalists um, to populate nrl.com with a much more sort of whole of game and, and sort of complete coverage type approach. And the um, the editor who I'd been working with um, ha had been doing it part-time or doing other stuff. He came on full-time and I was one of the journalists that he offered a, um, a full-time role to. And I had a, you know, I was quite fine out the part. I was already um, editor of a, a title, a suite of titles called, um, it was uh, Independent Financial Advisor Magazine and Investor Daily, Investor Weekly. I was doing reasonably well in that, but had to make the decision. It was sort of now or never do I take the plunge and, and start again in, in sports journalism. And yeah, end of 2013, I went across to Telstra full-time and I've been doing full-time NRL.com reporting ever since. Yeah, well, that, yeah, you know, that's, that's always always a good thing when you can, I guess, get a hold of what it is you want to do. Oh, you know, I guess people, I mean, obviously, NRL fantasy specifically is all about statistics and as is rugby league. Are they the sort of things that you, I guess, enjoy putting together, like those stat packs of, you know, how well a team is going or a particular player and the impact that they're, that they're having on, on their team compared to, say, other forwards, if it's a forward you're looking at across the competition and, and all those sorts of things? Yeah, I find that's much more probably my... Um, the two main areas I would like to focus on are the, the stats sort of driven yarns and then the more, I guess, the featurey colour piece type yarns where you just sort of have a, a chance to tell someone's personal story that, that might not have been told before um, in more of a, I guess, a magazine feature style. But the, the stats background, I mean, like I said, I was a finance journal for a fair while. Maths was one of my better subjects in, in high school. Um, so yeah, I've sort of always enjoyed the relationship between stats and, and sport for something that is so raw and physical, just the, the degree of knowledge you can gain about it when you start drilling into the, the numbers that, that go behind it, looking for strengths and weaknesses and, and that sort of thing. So that's, um, and the way that the game's developed, there's so much more data available now. The, um, 
the, the NRL stats providers, you know, log, I couldn't even tell you millions of data points um, in a season that, that really helps you sort of flesh out an understanding for what goes on behind it. And then, I mean, the fantasy thing I played, um, you know, before I was working in rugby league, I was a, a fantasy punter like everyone else who, who plays it. And um, again, back in 2013, when I came on board, they sort of needed someone to, to drive it and jump on the, the videos and, and that sort of thing. And there was just none of the other journalists who came on board really that fussed about it. So I put my hand up and that's kind of how that all came about. Yeah, cool. I mean, as I said, you know, you've obviously been able to do combine two things at once. I guess mm. some, you know, some, some people probably don't know that you are, uh, I guess, a passionate Parramatta Eels fan. So I guess it'd be it'd be remiss of of us to not ask ask you, you know, sort of how you know how they're tracking this season and sort of, I guess, what what do you think has been, I guess, the catalyst this season and obviously last as well. They went out in straight sets, but what do you think is is different about? The current ill setup now compared to say you know even 2016 2017 or when obviously things were i guess only just starting to recover but not at the level they are now yeah i mean i don't sort of advertise a lot public it's not not a secret that i'm an eels man but i, I tend to I'd, I'd like to think if you sort of read my stories and follow me on twitter that you wouldn't know if i supported a, a team or not but um yeah growing up um sort of in western sydney all my mates were eels fans um been a very long suffering eels man for a long time now um i don't know if we need to be getting too far ahead of ourselves they have probably eased off a little bit though you know very disappointing against manly and then unconvincing on the weekend against the bulldogs i um you know, having gone through the 2001 season when they would look completely indestructible until the, the grand final in 2009, where they went from almost last to catching fire and then ran into a, a red hot and salary cap breaching storm in the, the grand final. I guess what I like the more about the more at the moment is just, um, I, I guess there's a lack of reliance on individual superstars. I think, um, I couldn't tell you the exact numbers of what everyone's getting paid, but if you went through every club and picked out their highest paid player, Parramatta's highest paid player will be close to the lowest paid top player in, of any club because uh, it's probably someone like Mitch Moses at around 750. So they, 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 I think they've managed their salary cap well. We saw it with the Clint Gutherson negotiations. They weren't going to pay overs to, to keep him and ended up being able to keep all, all four members of their, their spine and then and the pack's very well rounded as well. The, the middles are doing a great job. And then you've got guys like Madison and Lane on the edges. They just, they, they've strike from a lot of different areas. They're good at distributing to the edges. They, um, you know, they're not someone where, you know, you can, if you shut down their halfback or their, their fullback there, they don't have a, a plan B. They sort of got, you know, options all over the park, which is good and, and just working together in, in defense. I think they're still probably just um, the, the best defensive team in the comp through 12 rounds there. Probably the I think the storm are catching them, but um, we all know that you know defense wins premierships. So if they are going to go all the way, then defense has probably got to be the the main thing more than the attack. Yeah, exactly right. And certainly, the Eels' defense has been quite good over the twelve rounds. Uh, I guess finally, again, still you know in in the same vein, sort of we know it, it was well publicized that the Eel, when particularly when Brad Arthur took over full time, he was you know on the ropes and looking like he may be going and everything. Sort of what uh, what what's your take on all of that, and sort of how do you think Brad Arthur has been able to, I guess, get the side not only that he wants, but a side that is pretty much willing to do whatever it takes to win based on the the philosophy and culture he wants to implement into the side. Um, I'm, I'm a huge Brad Arthur fan. I really like the way he goes about his business. Um, he doesn't. I think he's quite 
good at delegating when he needs to. He's um, he tends to surround himself with pretty good support staff. Um, I think they lost uh, an assistant coach in 2018 amongst a few other things that were going on, but he sort of rebuilt that. Um, I've had sort of Mark O'Neill and David Kidwell and stuff come on board. So they're, um, he's reasonably good, I think, at delegating when he needs to. But um, yeah, just that, that no-nonsense sort of, he doesn't try and get, I think, too clever, which we sometimes see coaches get a bit too, um, you know, whether it's uh, in the stats, you know, you've seen coaches... Um, I think Des has the Bulldogs area was Bulldogs era was very very preoccupied with completion rates and a, a few other things. Um, I think he's probably stripped it back a bit in his second coming at, at Manly, but I think Brad Arthur's pretty good at, at drilling down onto what's important and um, yeah, just in terms of a good coach needs to be a good man manager. I think he's very good at sort of inspiring the players to, to play for him as well. So I think he's probably got a pretty good balance there at the moment. Yeah, well they certainly seem to enjoy playing under him. Now Tom, do you want to do our usual fast five? Yeah, sure. So, uh, Chris, we just always end our interviews with our rapid fast five uh, questions just to try and mix things up and get you, sure. to know you and give the fans a bit of a different side to the reporter we see online. So just to start off, uh, who was the first person who introduced you to the game of rugby league? I mean, my, my dad, when I was little, would have been the, the first one. I remember watching Origins and uh, he was a huge, uh, he's still a, a Magpies fan, I guess, but uh, a West Tigers fan these days. But yeah, he's uh, tried to get me into the Magpies, didn't quite catch on. But yeah, as a little kid on the couch watching Origins is probably my, my earliest footy memory. Yeah, cool. Uh, who was your first favourite player? Good question. I'm going to say Benny Elias in those great Balmain sides of 88, 89. Interesting, cool. Uh, your favourite stadium to watch footy, past or present? Very hard to go past the um, the remodelled Bankwest Stadium. It's absolutely epic for fans. Yep, uh, Bankwest has been a very uh, popular answer to that question so far, and yeah, it's, it's not hard to see why once you go and watch a game there. Um, yep. The one game of rugby league that you'll never forget. Uh, I was lucky enough to be a journalist in the stadium for the 2015 Grand Final. I think that was the first grand final I covered where I went into the sheds afterwards. I remember just in the, the Cowboys sheds chatting to the likes of, you know, James Tamo and, and that sort of thing was um, yes, something else that they never forget. Yeah, unbelievable. And uh, if you could take any player out of their current NRL team and put them into your eels, who would it be? Um, question without notice, I don't know. Um, I mean, you'd be looking at the superstars, but I, I guess you want to look at who the eels are missing as well. So you look at the best players like a, a Tedesco, you don't really want to flick. Gutherson, who's the, the heart and soul of that team at the moment, maybe a, an extra, um, you know, strike forward, like a, you know, throw a Tamalolo in there, it'd be a um, pretty formidable pack. What's, what's wrong with uh, Big Jace? Yeah, very nice. That's it, Ricky. Yeah, well, thank once again, thanks very much, Chris. Obviously, you know, it was it's good to have you on and may all the, the stat packs and fantasy articles and feature stuff continue and let's hope that the Eels can, if not, if not win, at least have a, a decent run through the finals. Good stuff. Thanks for, having on. Thanks for having me on, guys. Good to chat. That pretty much covers it for another week of the podcast. And look, we have an entertaining week of rugby league coming up. So we'll be back next week to discuss all the highs and lows and everything that goes on, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be here. Uh, have a good week, everyone, and enjoy the footy. All right. Bye, everyone. All right. Good stuff. <laughs>